Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41. Jeremiah 32, 41. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. morning. Well, just as we discussed this morning, I want to be reminded that our hope and comfort here is that we're going to discuss God's Word. We're going to talk about um, the divine will of the God of heaven um, as we discuss God's Word. But uniquely this morning, we're going to talk about something that points at God's character. Uh, we've talked about His character in a previous lesson here, but today we want to talk about things that God does. And the reason we do this is we establish yet again who our Creator and Maker is. As, as we thought about in our prayer this morning about who God is, as we thought about in the songs that we sang, Nearer to Thee, what a blessing in that thought. A couple of things that God does just going to read through them for a moment and just reflect on them as we say these words and think about what the word means and apply it to God. And then we're going to talk about each of these as, as time permits. God rejoices. God delights. God sings. Kind of shocking. Hadn't thought about that before. God is merry. God <coughs> praises. God takes pleasure in. God does good to. He hears. God longs to gather. God has compassion. God shepherds. God is a friend. God does not withdraw His eyes from watching the righteous. God is holding or guides. God teaches. He provides for. God loves. God heals. Think about the Christ. He ever lives to make intercession for. Sobering idea. God serves. God is grieved. God forgives and saves. God prepares. The Bible even says that God is pitiful. As we think about, and that's just a small list, go through and do a study of God's character and qualities and be reminded again of who, the God, we, who God is that we serve. Now from our perception, very often we view God as angry. Judge. He's going to get us. He destroys the sinful and God's keeping a record of my sins and He's going to hold me account. That's, that's the way we put God in this nutshell. He's, he's out to get us. That is only a last resort that God will righteously judge. But yet God is all these other things. 
Like we mentioned this morning, God is not willing that any should perish. God is, if we could emulate, and we should, if we just emulate God's qualities, what, uh, what people we would be. So as we review these thoughts, I think it would be really for a benefit. Uh, I'm not in a race this morning. So let's read the verses together. Please turn to the topic that we read this morning, Jeremiah 32, verse 40 and 41. I have enough material here to preach for 45 minutes. And so I can't cover everything that we have. But we'll talk about the ones that we can. And let's, let's really examine them and apply them to our lives and think about how great God is. Sometimes a question may be asked. Listen, I, I don't think God is offended by us asking respectful questions. So someone may ask, why should I fear God? And on the surface that might seem arrogant, but studying as we learn, okay, these are reasons we should fear God. Why should I obey God? And on the surface that seems arrogant and haughty, but we can study and understand why we would be responsible to follow and obey the God of heaven. And as we look at these things, things that he does, like I said, we've, we looked at his, some of his character, uh, characteristics in another lesson, but these are all unique and different. So God rejoices. Jeremiah 32 and verse 40, please. And I, speaking of God, will make an everlasting covenant with them. I, God, will not turn away from them to do them good but I will put my fear in their heart that they shall not depart from me. And as was read, yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will plant them in this land assuredly. And notice, with my whole heart and my whole soul, that is the God of heaven. That should make our hearts sing. Um, God is anxious for us to love righteousness and turn away from worldliness and be His people. That's who He longs for us to be. To be like Him. And it's whether or not, as we discussed this morning, the only people that are separated from God eternally are the ones that want to be. The people that despise His righteousness and refuse to follow it with their whole heart. Uh, Matthew eighteen thirteen, please. And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than over the ninety-nine which went on astray. This is this image of God, right? Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We see this image of God rejoicing. Let's look at this idea of delights. Look at uh, Isaiah 62, 4, please. There are other verses that apply to each of these um, each of these items, and uh, for the sake of time and the will to cover more material, I'm going to just try to read a verse or two, and let's talk about it for a moment, um, so that we can cover more ground and see all these ideas about God. God delights Isaiah 62:4 and 5. 
Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and in thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee, and as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Our God rejoices. Zephaniah 3.17, please. Minor prophets. Zephaniah 3.17. So we learn by hearing, writing, reading. So you know, we get all these different tools in front of us of how we get something to apply and so as we hear it read and as we look at it with our eyes ourselves and we make application it, it sticks with us better so let's turn together so Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty he will save he will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing that's the God of heaven that we serve. It's this idea of a shout of glee. Um, Luke fifteen twenty three. This idea of Mary to put in a good frame of mind. <clears throat> Luke fifteen twenty three and twenty four, please. Bring hither the fatted calf. We're reviewing what the prodigal son, and we see this image of God. Kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For thy brother was dead, is alive again, was lost and is found. That's this image of God and rejoicing over someone that was wayward and returns. And it says he's merry. Praises. John twelve forty three, please. It's the idea of glory or honor. The God of heaven praises us in what sense? John twelve forty three. For they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. God's acceptance and his receiving us because of faithfulness and obedience. The praises of God. God takes pleasure in, please, Psalm 147 and verse 11. God takes pleasure in. So this idea of to be pleased with, to satisfy debt um, also. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. He takes pleasure in. We talked about the kingdom just a touch this morning. So in Luke 12 and verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His good pleasure. God wants to give us the kingdom. His children, those that love Him, and uh, love His goodness and His kindness toward us. The scriptures tell us that God does good toward, or to. Jeremiah 33, 8, please.
And it says, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. Speaking of the God of heaven. Whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities. Whereby they have sinned. Whereby they have transgressed against me. And it shall be to me a name of joy. A praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth. Which shall hear all the good that I do unto them. God does good toward And they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and for all the prosperity that I procure unto, unto it. So it is a sign to the world God's goodness. God hears. Remember in Acts 4 and verse 29, there was persecution and the disciples prayed that God would give them the courage and the strength to proclaim the gospel. And it says the place was shaken where they were. And then they went forth and did exactly what they prayed for. They had the courage and um, faithfulness to proclaim the truth. Well, God heard their prayer because we see the uh, the reaction from nature. Uh, but, well, it went on to say that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's also an evident uh, sign. But, so they prayed and God hears. And we could look at other things along that line. The scriptures teach us that God longs to gather. Luke thirteen thirty four. We see this image of Jesus looking of Jerusalem and petitioning and longing for them as though a hen would gather chicks under wings. And it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen to gather her brood under her wings and you would not. Jesus came and wanted people to Except words, words about the truth and the God of heaven and righteousness. And he was anxious for all to accept and receive. And yet all would not. But we see God always longing to gather people unto him. God has compassion. That's to have the bowels yearn to feel. Imagine the God of heaven, his bowels yearning and him having this great feeling toward or about. Well, Mark 6.34 gives us that idea. And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd. And please notice, and He began to teach them many things. What did His compassion fulfill? Their need for words. Think about the value that God places on words. It's huge. Because everything about us, God expects us to study, to show ourselves approved. So we're disapproved if we're not interested in His words. The idea that we're supposed to proclaim a gospel to the world, which is sharing words. That's God's chosen form of communication, is words. And we're responsible to be ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh us of the hope that is in us. And, and so that means we have to have these words in our heart and mind. It's words. And so Jesus had compassion and he began to teach them. So in his compassion, he shared words. And we're supposed to emulate Jesus, so guess what? Our responsibility is to know words, not any words, God's words, and share those words. Constantly, Jesus was anxious to teach because it's words that save us. Jesus shepherds. We all live life. 
And we all face times where we have despair and sadness. We feel like we have no direction. If it hasn't happened in your life, it's going to. And what a comforting thought to think that God is our shepherd. We think of the 23rd Psalm and how sweet and um, comforting it is as we think of the Lord is my shepherd, mine, personal. He is my shepherd. He guides. And the good shepherd does what? He gives his life for the sheep. Not as the hireling who would run away at the sign of wolves, but he's intent on caring for the sheep. We'll see how dedicated David was that he would take a lion and a bear by their beard and slay them personally because he loved the sheep. That's God's feeling toward us. He loves us. And uh, we're supposed to emulate Him. So, But it says in the 23rd Psalm, not only is He our shepherd, but we personally will not want. Because what? We pro- he provides for our needs. It's food and, and water in, in the first couple of verses. Pasture and waters. Um, God is a friend. We think of God being a friend um, with some mention in the Bible, but specifically for us, we think of John 15, 14 and 15. Jesus is communing with the, communicating with the um, apostles, and he makes this comment. And so ye are my friends. Do we want to be the friend of Jesus? If ye do whatsoever I command you. So we're his friends if we follow his commandments. Why? So we think about things that God does. God is not arrogant and haughty like he is anxious to have someone under his thumb obeying his every whim because he needs um, an ego trip. And I say all that with respect. It's just clarification. But God knows that when we follow righteousness and his will, we're doing what is best for us because we're following what is good and right. God does no sin. And so everything he asks us to do is for our greatest benefit. So we can be the friend of God, the friend of Christ, if we do what he commands. You know, even as Abraham was a friend of God, don't we want that same thing mentioned, not so much of us in life, but um, in God's heart that we're his friend. So God does not withdraw his eyes from watching the righteous. So he doesn't remove them. He's always watchful of the righteous. So don't we want to fit in that narrow road group of people that are considered the righteous? Because righteousness is doing right, correct? Righteousness is doing not our will, but His, and following His directions. Um, Righteousness is going to include the idea that when I put the old man to death, that means I look to God for everything and ask the question, before I make a decision, Lord God, what would you have me do in this situation? And I examine from the Scriptures and find out, okay, in this type of situation, I should do X. And I follow that. And that is putting on righteousness. Um, so I put the old man to death in that sense. And so it reverts back to the idea of being the friend of God. But he doesn't withdraw his eyes from um, watching the righteous. And we can fit in that niche of people if we put on righteousness. Job 36 and verse 7. <clears throat> he withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. But with kings, um, are they on the throne, yea, and doth um, establish them forever, they're exalted. So he doesn't withdraw his eyes. God is holding, 
or guides. This idea of to seize, to hold in possession, to guide. Psalm 73 and verse 23, please. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. The, the text goes on to say some very beautiful things. In Psalm 73 and verse 25, if you continue with me. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It reminds me of something that Jesus said. If you love father, mother, wife, children, and even yourself more than me, you can't be my disciple. And that rings clear here in this psalm where he says, there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. In other words, God's first place. God teaches. The idea to lay or throw, to point out. Uh, Psalm twenty-five, twelve. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. As we examine the idea of Jesus' teaching and behavior, his compassion was to teach people words, ideas, not any words, but God's saving message, words. Um, farther along in Psalm 25, and verses 14 and 15, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. He will show them His covenant. Question. Since God teaches, I have some, some observations to run by you. If the God of heaven is not willing that any should perish, and some may ask the question, how do we know we have an accurate copy of God's Word? Faith comes by hearing God's Word, correct? So we learn and understand, even as we look at um, Romans chapter 1, nature itself proclaims there's a God. So we know that there's a God. We learn more and more about the God of heaven through study. But if God is really God and compassionate and loves us, not willing that any should perish, then He is the one that has made sure that the Bible has been maintained. And just a passing note, as we think about in Revelation where it says, and the books will be opened and we'll be judged out of the things written in the books. If God's going to judge us out of the things written in the books and we don't have the books, then God's not just. So we obviously have an accurate account of God's Word and he wants us to understand it and study it and apply it to our lives. God teaches for the purpose of what? He wants us to be instructed and he wants us to take that information and do something with it. We have an accurate copy of God's word and will so that we can please him and stand before him justified. So we think about God provides for. Uh, Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom and God will provide for our needs, right? He feeds birds. They don't have barns. He clothes flowers. They don't go to the mall and buy clothes. He takes care of these things. And why would He not take care of us, His creation, whom He wants us to be with Him eternally? Of course He will. God provides for. God loves. kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? As we think about all the accounts of God's love in the Scriptures. I think about De uh, Deuteronomy... Um, Chapter 7, verse 8. 
But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. We know the account. Uh, John 13, 1, this idea of God's specific type of love. And this is a, one of those additional sobering events in the life of Jesus. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And yes, he did. What about the idea of we know, um, have known, and believe the love that God hath to us? God is love, right? First John four sixteen. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. God heals. Here's a sobering one. God serves. We think about Luke twelve thirty seven. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Pay attention to this text. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. This, this is this image of the Christ. And is it any different than him wrapping a towel around himself and washing feet? He served. And how much should we also emulate the master? God is grieved. Genesis 6, 5, and 6, God was grieved at his heart because of the sinfulness of man and their thoughts of their imaginations was only evil continually. We know that the God of heaven forgives and pardons. We know that the God of heaven saves. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. Well, we're talking about a physical application here, right? But how much He saves us through the blood of Christ. And ultimately, we put so much emphasis on this vehicle that our soul is driving around in until we die. But the vehicle that I'm in is temporary. And so what we're looking for is to being saved spiritually, eternally, right? We want to prepare our souls for tomorrow. We're looking toward heaven. Our eyes are on, on the sky, if you will, looking for the return of Jesus and always making sure each of our decisions are directed toward I'm preparing for heaven today. Not this rebellious idea of I'll straighten my life out later. Right now I'm going to live like I want to. And we might not verbalize it, but we act that way at times. And it's, it's eternally dangerous because sometimes unawares, unexpected, we wake up dead, unprepared. What a tragedy. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but um, in essence, we would wake up on the wrong side. So just a, a few thoughts. And... Uh, So in Micah 7, 18 and 19, let's think about this for a moment. Who is a God like unto thee that, that pardoneth iniquity, that passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us.
He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So let's wrap our arms around the idea of, of God that way, because that's the God we serve and long for. I think what happens is when we think that we're flirting with sin and living as we shouldn't, we don't think of the God of heaven that way. We think of the God as a wrathful God because we're afraid. We don't have to be that way. We don't have to live that way. We can live with anxious anticipation of Jesus' return because He's coming back to receive the faithful. And we can know that we're saved because God didn't intend us to frail around here in this life unsecure and wandering and worried. So much could be said or studied about the idea of things that God does. What an awesome God we serve. And He's so patient, loving, and kind toward us. So as far as this idea of the, that God saves, Jesus came because we have sinned. And He lived a perfect life which no man before or since was capable of doing. And He laid down His own life. No man took it from Him. And He was hung on a cross and died as a sacrifice because each of us are guilty of sin except if we've got any little bitty squirts here. Other than everyone else here, guess what? We're responsible. We are worthy to be separated from God eternally. But God in His mercy and compassion says, He loves us. He says, look, just do. God, God gives so much and expects so little. Just believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of sin and don't walk in wickedness and unrighteousness anymore, but follow the principles and, and uh, teachings of God. Confess Christ before men, not only in this assembly, but for the remainder of your life. Teaching others and proclaiming the Christ so that they also might come to this knowledge and be immersed for the remission of your sins. Because as Jesus was buried, we had that beautiful picture in Romans 6. Unless we're raised to walk in newness of life from baptism, we're not in newness of life in the Christ, and we're not in the Christ until we're baptized into Him. All those images as we think of, and God expects those things for us to be put in Christ and begin that Christian walk. And then as Christians, as we've discussed, if we have um, flirted with the world and, and not done what we should, God with open arms, we see that compassionate God who says, just return and I'll forgive. He's ready and anxious for us to be that one sheep that went away and He will rejoice over our return. If you have need this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?